0: All right, let's get this party started. Hi everyone, good to be back. I missed you. I only met you a few times, so I don't, I don't know that I missed you, but I'm definitely missed you all, and I'm very, very thankful that you all are here tonight. So thank you very much, and let's just get right into it. Um, those of you who've been to many of these events before, it is all part of creating a civic space. So the folks outside are welcome. Uh. Obviously they are, you know, they'd like to disrupt us. And so I, I just ask you to try to focus in on the conversation here. Angelina, my mic is a little bit high. You already heard it, great. Um, and let's just get into it if you don't mind. Okay, I'm gonna read a quote that's been written about you. It's the heat. It's a little hot. It's a little hot. Um, I'm gonna read a quote about you, okay? To her fiercest critics, she's an icy corrupt puppet of the mayor who will stuff San Francisco's jails with low level offenders and probably cackle as she does it. To her most loyal supporters, she's superwoman, a savior in a suit who's arrived to restore justice, safety and accountability to our failing city. Why are you doing this?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like San Francisco needs someone who's going to know, not just want to balance, but know how to balance making the system more equitable, but also being able to achieve a city that's more safe. Um, And it's something that I have been working diligently to do for the last eight years um, as an assistant DA. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't somebody who just desired some political future. And this was like a platform for something else. Um, Somebody who saw this role as political, because for me, it's actually not. Um, And when you've done this work, I think you understand that more closely. And so that's why.
0: Tell me a little bit about that, because a lot of people have been claiming that you're like firing of a bunch of people and in the beginning that it's all politically motivated and you're doing it because you want to show the voters something so that they elect you the full-time DA in November. So yeah. how do you see politics and your role?
1: Well, at Just some between point, us. Yes. This is literally yeah, at, you, at, me, at, yeah. and
0: them, and them.
1: At, <laughs> at some point in this, in the history of this country, we decided that this would be a political role. Um, like I said, I think uniquely because I've invested myself in this type of work. Um, I don't see it that way, but I would never fire somebody for political reasons. Um, firing actually is not fun. And to, to, that was not a good day for me. Um, and some of those people I knew personally when they were defense lawyers and we had a lot of cases together and they were people I actually really liked. And so um, I think you have to make tough decisions in this work so that it is done correctly. And some people may view it as political. I just simply don't.
0: Got it. So I feel like a lot of people like how many people knew who she was before the D.A. thing. Raise your hand if you knew who she was. Okay. Yeah. So not a lot of people because and I remember reading about you. I had a, I had a relationship with your predecessor, Chase Boudin. He spent many, many. He's been here many times. I interviewed him many times. I don't even know how many times. And so I followed the race very closely. And I remember when you came out, you you left, you left the office and you came out against uh, the D.A., um, so, why did you do that? Why did you choose to leave the DA's office? And then, why did you decide to say yes to the nomination, to the appointment by the mayor?
1: Yeah, so leaving was not easy. Um, Chasa actually had appointed me to the unit that I had always desired to be in when I started, which what was, was that? the homicide unit. Homicide unit, okay. And um, that work meant a lot to me. I had 12 cases, which for homicide is a normal amount um, because they're very complex and big cases. And I was dedicated to those families. And so I ultimately decided to walk away because I felt as though he was getting in the way of me being able to provide justice to these families. How? Um, He intervened in the last trial that I did um, in a way that I felt was irresponsible. And if I can't look a family in the face and say, we will do everything to get justice for you, We will do. We will make a decision in this case that is responsible, right, for society. Um, If I can't do that, but I'm the face of our office to this family, um, that was too much for me.
0: How did he intervene? Like he like came into your case and you wanted to, put you wanted to recommend a certain sentence, and he said no, I, I don't want you to recommend that sentence. Or how did he intervene?
1: So the public defender on the case is somebody that he knew very well. It used to be his office mate. Um, that was on that trial. And so she contacted him asking for him to change an agreement between us of who would decide the outcome or uh, ultimately the way the defendant would be handled um, after he was convicted. And I felt like we should have a neutral arbiter decide. Um, the jury hung and we had decided the judge would, would decide. I thought the judge has heard all the evidence. We came to that agreement. Why stop that from happening? And even before that, he didn't want the jury to decide. And I felt like we have to trust the community to make decisions that impact the community.
0: So my question, is, my next question that follows is about toxicity. Mm-hmm. I got back after three months of being away yesterday. I haven't been in San Francisco for three months and I haven't followed the news. I haven't <laughs> been watching. I had to like read a bunch of articles before this. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually glad that our friends are right outside our door because it kind of represents how hard it is to have really high quality discourse and to actually ask questions and want to know the answers. Right. And I feel like with the recall of Jesse Boudin, I was really dismayed at how toxic that became. I really was. Um on all the sides. It just felt really, really um the city kind of ripped apart a bit with it. So how do you plan or how can you help make the city less toxic? What will you do to help make the city less toxic politically? Because we have actual problems to solve.
1: Right. And I think it's doing things like this. People have to know what their city leaders think and feel. And not like, honestly, not from some Platitude for, for a campaign to get votes, but actually understand how do you view doing this work, right? What are you, what is your vision for how you're going to make life better for everybody here? And um, I think for me, it's about going around the city and having these conversations because particularly the newspaper media wants, they want clicks, they want people to read. And so it's very um, controversial. It's ve- it is to me very toxic at times and it makes people polarized. And um, I think people need to hear for themselves, right? That their officials really do want to improve their lives and their conditions.
0: Can I ask you to do me a favor and just look out into this crowd Mm-hmm. of people that have come here from all parts of San Francisco maybe you like her what she's about maybe you've come into this room and you're like who the fuck is this right <laughs> you could maybe you were a big Chase supporter maybe you were behind her all the way maybe you have no idea and this is your first political event ever I would like for you to just look at them and tell them what you want to do for this city who are you and what what do you want how do you want to improve their lives
1: yeah and the truth is I'm just somebody who feels that everybody in this system deserves a voice um, and the way that I even came into politics or into the DA's office was um, I had been in corporate law for many years and was kind of going through the motions with that wasn't happy but also wasn't sort of motivated enough to leave um, until I gave birth to my firstborn son who ultimately passed away right after his birth. And I was at a critical point in my life where I had to decide, what is going to be your purpose now? Um, And I came to the conclusion because I had met some African-American DAs in the county that I was working in, in the South Bay, um, who seemed to really enjoy the work that they were doing. I said, you know, what if you're the voice for people who are suffering too? and who are in pain and that's why ultimately I wanted to work in the homicide unit um, to be a voice for parents who had suffered a loss like I had obviously from different mechanisms. Um, And that is the way that I entered this work. Um, I also felt that being a black and Latina woman that I could be a diverse representation on the prosecution side which is something that most black people in particular don't think about doing. It's the opposite of what we think about doing Um, because we don't trust law enforcement. We don't trust the system. And I said, the only way we're going to change that is to come inside and be that person who can understand maybe what that defendant went through in their life to, you know, so that you can see for yourself and make the decision on what is a proportional consequence for their action. Um, And so that's really how I came into this um and every day that i've done this work i've tried to make sure to humanize the people that we prosecute because they are people and they have families and their families and and also the people that we prosecute need to trust this system and so i want it to be a voice for victims and you can do that while also like i said being very respectful to the people who are on the other side and so that's the that's Basically, who I am as as a prosecutor yeah.
0: I've said this to a lot of other public officials that have spoken on this baby stage and with rugs from my Afghan rug trading uncle, Doj Lomo. These are all rugs from Doj Lomo, my uncle. Um, So if you like them find me afterwards and I can connect you. I'm sure he'd love a good sale. Um, And one thing, whether people agree with you or not, whether people think that you have got the right ideas or not, I have a lot of respect for people who would choose to put their name, their family, right, their lives, right in the middle of the arena that is our city's politics, it requires real service. And so whether anyone agrees with you or not or thinks that you're the right person for the job or you're this that or the other thing I do want to thank you for having the courage to say okay I will occupy this extremely polarizing controversial position for the good of the city so I do want to thank you for that And now I'm going to ask you some tough questions
1: That's fine cuz let me tell you it's been a, it's it's not easy
0: So <laughs> first let's talk about the payments. Yeah. Let's let's talk about them because I was like I came back to the city there's a new DA apparently she didn't tell people she got paid and she left it off her she she got paid she said she was a volunteer. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So from your words and from your perspective, what happened there? Why didn't you why did you say you were a volunteer when you got paid or what, what for for people who weren't yeah. following it, what actually happened and what would you have done differently?
1: Yeah. And just to be clear, it was two separate things. So I was doing consulting work on with part of my day. And then when I was needed to be a volunteer spokesperson for the campaign, I was, which was a sporadic thing, right? It became more involved as we got closer to the election day. But for a, a majority of the time, it was you know an interview here or go speak to the, this group of people there. Um, so in fact, I was a volunteer for the campaign, but I understand how people might feel about the fact that who I was consulting for donated a bunch of money to the recall campaign. And so in retrospect, in retrospect, um, I certainly wish that I had just, I guess, told a reporter that even if they didn't ask, but I, I would have just said that. Um,
0: you would have said I'm being paid by the campaign or you just no, said, no,
1: because I wasn't being right, paid by the campaign. That I'm
0: doing consulting yeah. work by a group that has the basically the same name, similar name.
1: Yeah. Well, that's donating people. money. Well, right. a different arm of them was donating money to the recall. Um, and so, yes, in retrospect, um, I would never have wanted to mislead people. And so I would rather them have known a long time ago. Um, certainly now to be painted as corrupt, as, uh, and have that, I think, distract from the work of the office and and distract even, you know, perhaps, um, you know, my employees who are trying to to actually, for once, feel like they can do the work that they need to do. Um, I I would never want that to happen again. And so uh, I wish that I had just said that a long time ago.
0: I'm no stranger to people saying lots of things about me. Uh, present company included. How are you doing emotionally uh, and kind of mentally right now with all this?
1: Um, it's it's certainly an adjustment. Uh, I've never been protested before. I'm I'm not even sure.
0: Welcome. What
1: they're what they're upset at me welcome, about. Welcome
0: but... to my world.
1: <laughs> um, that is new. Um, you know, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and uh, I want. I don't want their lives to be negatively impacted by the work that I am doing. I hope that the work that I am doing improves their lives. Um, But I'm also now, of course, I don't want them to be right to to feel the effects of what's outside. Right. Um, But overall, you know, I, I've been through the worst thing I think any human being can go through already in my life, which is bearing my son. And so I know that inside, I have the strength to bear anything at this point.
0: So let's talk about the police and let's talk about judges, because one of the yeah. things that Chasa would say often is, you're looking at the wrong guy. It is not my job to solve crimes. The people solving crimes are the women and men in blue, and the people who are charging these people with how long they should be in jail or how long their sentences that's not me, that's the judges. So you're saying that I'm the reason why the city is full of crime. You should be looking at the police and you should be looking at the judges. Do you, is that correct? And how, what, what is your take on that? That the DA's job is not like, if you're looking at me to solve crime or make San Francisco safer, that is not my job.
1: Um, I fundamentally disagree. I think the DA's office has an obligation to pursue a mission of public safety um that is our job and is it within our total control of course not but um, to say that we we can't do anything simply isn't true we have a our function can deter crime certainly uh, how does that work cuz you tell me yeah. about that so uh, i mean we all know the police are who investigate crime and they bring us a case and we decide whether or not there's enough evidence to charge and if there is, then we move forward. And we are who decides generally what the consequence is in a majority of cases, right? If it's a plea deal, we make the decision on what the plea offer is. A judge doesn't do that.
0: What is a plea deal? Does everyone know what a plea deal is? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know what a plea deal is. Okay. So <laughs> what the hell is a plea deal?
1: So let's say somebody's charged with a robbery. We can decide, as the DA's office, um, a robbery has an exposure of two years. Uh, four years or five years. And we decide whether or not to make somebody an offer to settle their case. And we can decide, do we want to offer you a robbery charge that would go on your record? If so, we can decide, actually, you can take a robbery and we'll give you probation, right? Where you don't spend time in jail. We can offer you a robbery where you spend up to five years in prison. Or we can say, you know what? Um, We're not even going to offer you a robbery, we're going to offer you a grand theft, or a petty theft, or we can we get to decide what we want to offer to the defendant to resolve their case and what the value of it is and we make that um, decision based on a number of factors prior criminal history if there is any, or lack thereof, right, The, the facts of the case, was it a violent robbery or not? Did they just snatch a person, run? Or did they, you know, attack the person physically? Um, All sorts of things, right? Did they choose an elderly person or not? All sorts of factors we can look at. Is there mitigating information?
0: So what will your philosophy be as district district attorney when you're determining, should we put this person, should we ask to put this this person in jail? Should we put something else. Like, what is your matrix going to be? What is your philosophy around that?
1: So I think that um, a true progressive prosecutor's office is an office that prioritizes alternatives to incarceration that are responsible. And that's what I want our office to be, is an office that looks at ways to create opportunities for alternatives to incarceration that are that make sure that an offender has an opportunity to turn their life around not simply just releases them back out onto the street in the same circumstance that brought them into the system because then they go out, reoffend, and then we're less forgiving, right? Not only as an office, but as a, as a city as people begin to continue to commit crime. And so we can put people in, if they have a mental health problem, we can either put them in our mental health court or we can come up with some informal sort of pathway to them doing inpatient mental health treatment Um, We can require people to uh, go into vocational training programs and demonstrate um, a follow through with that and they can earn a reduction in their charge. There's all sorts of ways to do that. But I want us to be an office that is innovative and creative about when it's first of all identifying where that's appropriate, which offenders that's appropriate for, which should be a fair amount of them because most of our offenders are not murderers or rapists and things like that. Um, but also um, knowing, sort of gauging when you know to draw the line, right? With repeat offenders, with people who commit, you know, certain types of hate crimes, et cetera, so you have to you have to be willing, right, to know where that line is.
0: So where where is that line? Because I think one of the the some of the high profile cases that I think caused a lot of co- frustration with the former DA, Chase Budin was these cases of people who were repeat offenders and then they did something, right? So what is that about? Um, you know, If someone has done a crime again and again and again, what is a way to stop them from doing that crime in, or any crime in your eyes as a DA?
1: Yeah, so what you have to look at is, um, have they ever been given an op- a true opportunity at rehabilitation? So sometimes I would get a case and I'd look at it and the person would have multiple prior offenses, but each time they were just put on probation no intervention, no rehabilitation, here's your, here's some reduced charge, put you on probation, send you back out. And you can't expect people to just suddenly change the way they behave unless you do something to help them change that. And so it, it doesn't even mean that if this is their third time that it's like, oh, okay, we're done with you, you're going to prison. We need to see what has been done to intervene before. And if nothing, okay, well, what does intervention look like now? Now, let's say we've given somebody three or four opportunities at intervention. We have tried to put them in multiple programs. They, they, they leave, they f- refuse to complete them. Um, they keep committing certain types of crimes. Certainly if it's a violent offenses, um, we have to at a certain point say, well, then we have to segregate you from society for some period of time. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. We can't allow people to go around right attacking people, breaking into their homes repeatedly and also saying, I don't care about changing my life.
0: So. um, My first talk back from my vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we invited you. Wanted to make this extra
1: exciting when you got back.
0: You're so, this is great. love my job okay so let's talk about drugs and fentanyl and people dying on the street um there was a lot of criticism but from everyone i mean everyone has everyone has felt that because you do see people doing drugs openly um you know some people are already accusing you of going after drug users not drug you know dealers or that your policies are only going to really impact people with a small amount of drugs um And then, of course, going after the kind of major dealers, there's also, you know, other concerns about that. How do you do that? There's immigration stuff. There's equity. There's, you know, the drug war. So talk to me about your plan to to have people stop dying in San Francisco from drug overdoses. How are you going to what's your piece of that going to be?
1: So, yeah, I mean, we're in a different time than 15 years ago, right? Even five years ago, there was no fentanyl five years ago when I was prosecuting drug cases myself. (laughs) You know, fentanyl was a thing in hospitals, but not out on the street the way it is now. And so we can't prosecute the same way we did five or 10 years ago, we have to treat this as different because of the, because it is killing people and they and it's killing people in two different ways, right? It's killing the people who know they're ingesting fentanyl and who are addicted to fentanyl. And it's killing people who don't know that they're ingesting fentanyl because it's being laced inside of other drugs that they think they're buying. And so for me, um, I have taken a hard stance that we have to treat people who are selling this drug differently. And, um, that's why I had our office do a review to see what were the pleas. I mean, I, I heard things, I saw the data, um, and, but I wanted to see like what offers are on the table right now when I walked in. And so for people who had 300, 400 grams of fentanyl, which quite honestly could kill, you know, a quarter of this city, um, they were being offered misdemeanors they were in our community justice court, which is designed for people who are struggling with addiction to get connected to resources. And they were not people who were addicted. And so for me, I had to say, that's not okay. That's not okay. You don't get a misdemeanor for going out and selling something that is killing people, certainly when you know that it's killing people. And I also wanted to make sure that the that the spots in our community justice court and in our drug court are reserved for people who actually need that help. We can't let people abuse those courts, come back out. And I was hearing the stories that they were literally handing their dope to people outside. They would come in, make their court appearance, come back out, take their dope and sell it right out front of the court. I mean, we can't live that way and we can't do that. Um, that doesn't mean now I'm saying deport all you know, people Hondurans who are selling fentanyl? No. Um, and I've made it very clear. I didn't grow up with my dad. I grew up, uh, with my mom only. My dad is from El Salvador. Um, he was here on a student visa when, uh, I popped up. (laughs) Whoops. And, uh, he had to go back home when his visa expired. He's never been a citizen of the United States. I didn't even meet him until I was 21. So I'm sensitive to, uh, immigration, consequences, per se, and what they have on people, the, the effect that they have on people's lives. Um, but I, and so we have crafted guidelines for the way that we settle cases that still takes into account immigration consequences, right? I, we are still making immigration safe plea offers um, in many, many, many cases. Um, but I also have to say, that if somebody is going to choose to keep selling fentanyl, I I, want to be transparent really with people and about what I really feel. That's what, that's what this place is all about. That we have to graduate and elevate sort of the way that we deal with you. And if everybody's on notice that we're giving you an opportunity, here's another opportunity, right? That at a certain point, if you keep doing it, we're going to have to ask that you plead to the charge of the conduct. We have to. And um, and so that doesn't mean, right, that I'm going to call ICE. It doesn't mean that we'll even corroborate with ICE. We won't. We will not. But it means that we're going to keep giving opportunities as we can, right? But we have to protect the lives of the people who are on our streets. We have to. They are some of our most vulnerable San Franciscans who are on the street struggling with addiction and people are exploiting them and killing them. And we have to do something
0: about it. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about the police versus DA relationship. Because yeah. when I would talk to officers, they would say, the reason why uh, you see all this crime is because the DA's office, because the DA is not charging him. We're bringing these people in, the DA's office is letting them go right back out. It's a revolving door. And so there's no way we're gonna solve the, the, the crimes. When we would talk to the DA's office, they would say, it's the police. The police, they're not, They're everyone that they're bringing us We are, you know, we're charging and they're not bringing us the kingpins and the dealers. They're not even arresting people. They're lazy, they're not doing anything. You know, they're just kind of, you would hear the back and forth. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. This was in the media, this is public. It was a back and forth between the two. Everyone's pointing fingers to the other direction. If there was a new DA and people knew that there was someone that would really charge these crimes, then we would bring people to them and there wouldn't be drug dealing. The DA's office was saying, that's crazy. I mean, that's not actually how this works. You know, you bring us someone that's committed a crime, we'll evaluate it. Well, we have a new DA now. How are we – I don't even care about what just happened the last two years because that's the past. I want to talk about the future. I think the future is, like, how do we make sure that the people who who really do need to stop doing these things stop doing them? So what what kind of relationship with the police are you already creating in a way that doesn't put the wrong people in jail unnecessarily but does actually address the crimes that are affecting this city?
1: So – I have worked um, very hard to establish a partnership with them. We have to, right? That doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable, right? If they break the law themselves. Uh, But we have to have a partnership because we, it's really like a relay, right? I, I, I say they pass us the baton. When they make an arrest and they investigate a case, we have to take the baton from them and actually have, we're the ones who create accountability on the back end in the case. And so if we are, just saying, okay, back out, back out again, back out again, and they keep seeing the same person. Well, didn't I just arrest that person 48 hours ago? Why are they back out here again? That is discouraging, and we have to acknowledge that.
0: Is that something you can address, you can change?
1: Absolutely. We, I mean, not, okay, let me make it clear. When we, um, we can seek a certain custody status for somebody at arraignment, so the first time they go into court or even thereafter, it is the judge who makes the decision but we have the right and the obligation to make an argument as to what the judge should do. That is what was lacking before. We were sitting on our hands, not taking a position, saying, or saying, we agree, just release them, judge. So now we are, I, I've instructed the office to make an evaluation of whether somebody presents a public safety risk, right? Again, taking all these factors into account. What are the facts of your case? How many times, how many open cases do you have? Uh, what is the egregiousness of your conduct, and then we take a position to say, Judge, you know what? Either this person needs a GPS monitor and and release, this person needs house arrest, this person needs to stay in custody. It was a really violent offense, um, and and to give the judge the tools to make the argue to make the decision.
0: So just one more question on drugs, and I'm sorry because this is just something I I, I think a lot about. I come back to the city, I see it, and I'm kind of like, God damn it! Like we need to get hold of this. A hold of this issue so is your plan are you talking to the police and you're saying go out there and find the people who are dealing a lot of drugs bring them to me and i will put them in jail like well, what is, i'm not saying that's what i want to have happen but like what in your mind what do you think is the re- the change <clears throat> in policy or the, the, the action plan the strategy plan to prevent the dealing of this particular drug So I don't say we'll put
1: them in jail per se, but I say we will do what we need to, to promote accountability. Accountability comes in different forms and that form is individualized for each person based on their circumstance. So I would never sit here and say there's one size fits all solution to every drug dealing case because they're going to be different. But what I have said is the days of there being excuses not to do your best. Are behind us right there's no more excuse you have a da's office that's willing to partner that's willing to do the work do it the right way hold those who need to be held accountable accountable and so go out make the arrests bring us the cases i yes.
0: see i see there's not a new sheriff in town but right. <laughs> something kind of similar yes um okay i, c- I can see that um
1: and can i make one distinction this is we're very on the, we're di- on the carpet we're on, on the white
0: you know, we're
1: on the, the baby the, stage. The, Please, this is um, because too. you you brought up the drug user part of this, and I just want to say this: there we have come up with a strategy for um, really trying to address the open air drug usage. My policy about drug sales is separate and apart from how we deal with those who have substance abuse problems and are struggling with addiction. And one thing that we have decided, I think also as a city, perhaps we should, is that we don't want to be a city that just allows people to sit on our streets and openly ingest drugs. It, that That's not what I want my children to see. That's not what many of us want to see. And so we've got to do something about it. That doesn't mean we incarcerate the people. Of course not. But what we have decided is to, we've come up with, um, the police have decided to start citing those who are openly ingesting drugs on the street we then since
0: you became the DA
1: actually they decided before the newspaper tried to say it was because of me but it had started before that's a whole other thing um and what we do as a DA's office right now is we discharge the first four citations initially and we keep track somebody gets to five, then we say, okay, intervention is needed here, right? This is this person is at a crisis point if they're still repeatedly on the street, right? Smoking fentanyl or methamphetamine or whatever it is. And then we use that fifth to say, okay, now we're going to pull you in, right? We now are going to take jurisdiction and, and now put you into our community justice court to get you some help. You have to, we have to use this system to help sort of be that motivation for people who don't have the, right now are struggling to find that internal motivation. And you know that with addiction, finding that internal motivation is really, really hard. Most people will tell you who are in recovery, it took something external, kind of propelling me into it. And so that's what we're trying to do so that we're not grabbing, you know, the first time they're, they're sighted, we kind of see what what is the pattern with this person so that we see kind of they're in crisis and now we're we're hooking you to get you into some help
0: what do people think about that like what just like what do people think about um well just like give you like give me like a snap if you think that that process is a process that will work okay so snaps okay so people there's some there seems to be some like my yeah. thing is like, wow, you have to be booked four times and go to court four times? No, 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 oh, no. Just be so, cited four times.
1: They just literally hand them a citation. Like, If
0: someone's smoking fentanyl on the street, why not ask? Why not bring them in to get help sooner than the fifth well, time?
1: Uh, that's fair. You know, not –
0: <laughs> it's very
1: know. divided. The city is very divided on well, this. Well, if it's it actually you.
0: what you're saying, um, Ms. Attorney, I'm not sure what you're – <laughs> then if it really is bring people in to give them the help they need to stop doing it, like the fifth time, I mean, I would hope that someone would, the first or second time I'm doing smoking fentanyl, they like, come here, let me help you stop doing right, this. Right,
1: right. I think where I say the fifth is because um, I am a prosecutor's office, right? I'm not I'm not the Department of Public Health and I don't want to make um, make it punitive right out of the gates. I think we need to see sort of, if this is something that is reoccurring, which signals like you need serious intervention and and the prosecutor's office is the only one equipped right now to intervene. And so that's why I I decided to do it that way.
0: I see, I guess what I'm trying to vocalize here is the San Franciscans who are not lacking compassion. They're not saying I hate this person or get this person away from me or like how disgusting, but a feeling like doing nothing is not compassionate. And so there must be a better way, because allowing a person to, or basically turning a blind eye to a person, destroy themselves, is not actually a a progressive or compassionate thing to do. I 100% agree. I 100% agree with that. The question is, what is that thing? And so I know you've started recently, uh, how many months?
1: Oh, not even months yet. I think we're at week seven. Okay.
0: And so I although it feels like seven months it's a tough issue to crack but 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 i'm i'm glad that that you're thinking about it i have just a couple more questions we'll get to audience questions too i know people have angelina have some folks oh you have them all if you haven't got it collected yet angelina's right there in the back just lift it up i see one over here um i want you to talk to me about the moment mayor reed or her staff or whatever when you first got the like official request from the mayor to do this job. What went through your head? What was that process like?
1: Um, Quite surreal, actually. Um, Like I said, I, I started, well, I don't know if I said that yet. I started in the DA's office in 2014 as a volunteer. They wouldn't
0: Be even- Be careful how you use that word. No, uh,
1: no, literally, I know that's true. That's over really here. I, I walked into that one, okay, fair Take enough. Take
0: that one out of your lexicon, um, maybe.
1: I had, <laughs> I had been, like I said, a corporate attorney for almost eight years, uh, went to the University of Chicago for law school, one of the best law schools in the country, and they didn't give a darn. They said, you don't have any trial experience. Um, we're not going to hire you right away. We need to see kind of how this goes. Can you try a case? And so for three months, um, I worked in the misdemeanor unit unpaid and um to think that I started there with absolutely no thought of ever like being the district attorney. I stood in my kitchen in the dark after my kids went to sleep that night that I found out and I said, this is unbelievable, it really is. Um, But at the same time, this city needs something different and they need somebody who is not gonna swing us to the polar opposite extreme right? This isn't about extremes and it's not about politics. It's about making sure that somebody can balance really the true core values of San Francisco, which is the compassion, which is knowing we need to make the system more equitable and fair, but also that we're a city that deserves to be safe. We're a city that deserves not to have, right, drug dealing all over the streets. We're a city where our Asian American population deserves not to question when they walk out of the door, am I gonna get attacked today? That, that's the truth of it.
0: All right, let's get to some of these audience questions. Okay. There are currently 10 law enforcement officers charged with criminal acts. These charges range from destruction of evidence to manslaughter. Can you assure us that you will vigorously prosecute those officers, particularly the ones who killed Keita O'Neill and Sean Moore?
1: So I won't speak about any individual case in a, in a public setting. I'm actually not supposed to do that. But what I will say is um, I grew up listening to my grandmother tell us about how one of her older brothers died in police custody um, in the segregated South and how the police said it, that he just fell and hit his head, um, but that they always believed that he was killed. And um It was a brother I never got to meet. I've met pretty much all of her other siblings. She was one of 11. And so that was how I was raised, right? Always feeling like we're just not treated fairly, right? Terrible things happen to us. And I take that work very seriously, I do. I will always follow the law, period. I can't, I I have to make sure that in this system we maintain a level of integrity as far as how we prosecute that doesn't change based on who you are or what your status is. The second that I start to do it for one segment of the population, people are gonna start doing it for people who are black or people who, whatever, right? And so all I will tell you is that I'm dedicated to that work, I take it seriously. Any cop that has broken the law will be prosecuted, period, period. If we can prove that case, we move forward.
0: Since assuming the role of DA, you've had a lot of criticism, mm-hmm. as, uh, as seen outside of Maddie's tonight. <laughs> Snarky question: Are you prepared for an election, holding and holding your ground and what you stand for with presumably, with what will presumably be even more criticism?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I when I started this work, I said I'll only do it one way, and it's the way that I believe that it's right to be done, and I'm not going to change that now. Um, if, if San Francisco doesn't agree with sort of the way that I think and the way that I see doing this work, then they can choose that they want something else. Um, I can only be true to the way that I really, truly believe that it should be done at its core. Um,
0: and that's why I'm very honest about the way that I feel. I'm a business owner in the financial district, and it seems like property damage, car break-ins and thefts has all been decriminalized. This has resulted in multiple CVSs and Walgreens's closing. How are you going to deter this crime with consequence? This is decreasing access to healthcare prescriptions for my patients.
1: Yeah. And so I think, you know, and this predates uh, the previous DA, that I think we just got to the point where violent crime was our only sort of priority. And I, again, I, I came up through this office, so I know firsthand that uh, when your caseload is too high in particular, you start to prioritize the cases that you view as more serious and you're more inclined to settle those that you don't see as more serious. But one thing that I've learned as I've moved about this city talking with group after group is that property crime and theft is affecting the quality of life in San Francisco at a magnitude that we can no longer tolerate. We have to do something different. So... We're prepared to make sure that those who are repeat offenders of theft have a consequence, we have to. And again, consequences look different for different people. I wanna make that clear because I'm being painted as somebody who wants to just incarcerate everyone under the sun. That's not true. Some people steal because it is an addiction issue. And we are prepared and able to make sure that if that's the issue that is revealed to us, that we, that accountability for that person looks the way it needs to. And we put them into drug court or we require that they undergo inpatient treatment so that they can beat that addiction.
0: One thing that I just to add to that, that I think the human thing and the quality of life in San Francisco is paramount, but also I'm really worried about businesses not wanting to locate here because they just don't think it's safe for them. And that will cause a cooling down of the entire economy, right? I remember, I know IKEA is thinking about going into that big new mall but if you've been to Market Street uh, after 10 o'clock on that yeah. stretch of block, I don't care. You, I mean, I'm glad they're based in Europe because if they were based here, they'd see that. They probably wouldn't want to open. So I'm really nervous about how it affects the whole economy, jobs, people wanting to visit here. So yeah. it is really important. With the passage of the CARE court, how will things change in San Francisco? And what's one thing that you, you wish was included? Hmm. And what, so, what is that? What's the care court for people who don't So know?
1: it's, it's um, going to require mental health. It's sort of going to require mental health treatment for people who have um, severe mental health problems. And, and I'm hoping that it is something that helps the situation. Again, everything can't be penal, right? It can't be through the criminal justice system. We have to have other avenues to get people the help that they need. And we know that we're a city where we battle a lot of that. Um, we see it every day, right, out on the street. And so I'm hoping that that'll function as sort of that, that second layer to this, or maybe even the first layer. And, you know, we only get people once they commit a crime, Um, but hopefully they can catch people before to put them into that court and help like push them towards um, receiving mental health treatment and staying on medication and those types of things. But, um, you know, it's, it's something that's a serious issue here that we have to use all of our. Sort of tools in the toolbox to
0: to help fix. What's your stance on conservatorships? Do you think that we should be conserving more people?
1: Hmm, that that's a tough one. I think in ser- I mean, in a way, whew, sometimes yes. It's a, it's that's a tough one because you're taking away somebody's right independence and in their and their liberty. But we do have a lot of people who are on the street struggling and not able to govern themselves.
0: When's the right time to say? someone you no longer can take care of yourself and you should be conserved?
1: I think we have to look at, again, what what is the track record? How many times have there been attempts to intervene without success? Um, You know, have we tried everything? Conservatorship should, of course, be a last resort. Um, And I think there needs to be a, a demonstrated proof that we have tried to give this person the opportunity to do it on their own without success right, to the degree that now they are a harm to themselves or others in a fashion that we just can't let them keep Got languishing.
0: Got it. Thank you. Generally, every time we get a new tough-on-crime regime, the tenderloin gets cleaned out. And folks, I, I'm not adding these quotes. I'm just, <laughs> I'm doing my job as the moderator reader. That's in the quotes are here. And folks <laughs> are pushed out to other neighborhoods. Usually the mission suffers. What will you do differently from the long list of failures preceding
1: yeah, and um, for me, uh, I don't want to see that happen. I have tried to make it clear that we are going to focus on more than just the tenderloin, um, particularly the mission. Um, I come here a lot, uh, certainly to eat. I, I was, love eating I was going to ask,
0: well, I'm, after you answer this question, <laughs> I will need to know your favorite taqueria. <laughs> um, Pancho Villa. So...
1: Uh, we were I just there tell, last night. I will tell the owner of
0: Cumbre that you <laughs> just said that. Uh,
1: so um, oh. I see the struggles. They are real and they are just as important. This neighborhood is no less important than any other neighborhood in San Francisco. And so we have to, and that's where the partnership with the police comes in. We have to make sure that we're not looking at things in a vacuum, again, politically or what have you. It has to be that we're having discussions about what's the state of things all over this city because I don't serve one community; I serve the entire city, and so um, I am I am having those conversations. We're starting to, you know, have where I have specific Bayview meetings, I have specific Mission meetings, I do the walks to see, um, so that we're making sure we are not just creating a problem somewhere else.
0: S. Thank you. SFPD has a long history of targeting the BIPOC and LGBT community. How will you as DA protect these communities and hold the SFPD accountable?
1: Yeah, so I um, have had a practice my entire career um, that when I get a police report, uh, I don't just read it to see what did this person do. I look at the policing, right? I've had situations um, where I have read a police report and said, huh, that that doesn't seem right. That I I smell racial profiling. And I flipped the page. I said, let me see what the race of the suspect is. Oh, just like I thought, right? And it, it, it is what I believe we should be doing as a DA's office. We should be sort of th- that check and balance on policing, that if we think or believe that that a police officer has acted in a way that doesn't comport with true justice, that doesn't comport with the way that we think things should be done fairly and equitably, then we have an obligation to change course in the way that we handle that case. And so that's the way that I've always done it, and that's what I expect of my lawyers.
0: What are the top three issues you want to address for San Francisco, and how will you do them? How will you do this? Yes. They so- had proper grammar. I just... <laughs> ruined it.
1: Yeah. So, so there's three top issues that I think are, you know, I, I think are most critical right now, repeat and violent offenders, making sure that we deal with them appropriately. We can't treat them the way we do first time offenders. We just can't. And we have people out committing brazen, very, very violent robberies, home invasions repeatedly. We have to be taking those crimes seriously and making sure that there's accountability. The second is the violence against the Asian community. It's got to stop. I have an obligation to make sure that there are consequences and that those consequences function as a deterrent to those who are thinking about continuing that behavior in this city. Um, I grew up being very proud of being from the Bay Area. I'm from the East Bay. And one thing that I prided myself in when I moved away to Chicago, Atlanta, et cetera, was that I came from a place everybody was together right um it wasn't just black or white it was a place where you embraced other cultures where you love the food you love the you know if they had a, a fair if they had a this um but we can't pretend anymore like there's not still racism that there's not that we don't still have a long way to go and so we can't be have that pride but then underneath allow people to be targeted because of who they are. So that's number two. Number three is the drug dealing. The drug dealing has to stop. We're never gonna end it. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not crazy. I know we'll always have some element of drug dealing, but it doesn't need to be out of control the way that it is right now. And that fuels other problems. It fuels, right, the trash on the street. It, meaning actual garbage, not people, of course, the actual Garbage that is all over our streets. It Quick breeds plug violence. Quick for
0: Sunday's month- weekly trash pickups every Sunday at <laughs> 10 o'clock here.
1: Uh, it breeds violence and it fuels addiction that then leads to other types of property crime. So we have to curb that so that we can then curb some other things.
0: DA Jenkins, I know folks feel secure with security cameras, but what happens when civilians video captures a blameless black person mistakenly identified as a criminal? How do we get redress for that person?
1: So I'm trying to understand the question. Does the person who asked this question want to clarify?
0: Please go ahead. Uh, Do we have uh, a wireless mic we can give? We do. Let's keep that door closed. (laughs) And Angelina is coming with a wireless mic Uh, over there in the corner.
2: Thank you very much. Um, you, you can, can, you can,
0: yeah. Okay. So, what'd you say? No, no. I was telling Angelina she could. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to
2: run away with and start singing. No, no, no. Right? no
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Are you? Do you have a good singing
2: voice? Certainly. I've oh, great. <laughs> great. I'm trying to focus back on um, the advent of Next Door and many ways that we're capturing as civilians. My question is directed at the civilian surveillance inside of the city of San Francisco. I mean, it's art and people just trying to protect themselves. But many a times, there can be an image of an individual who's completely blameless, and they're archived in this stream of next door or something, and suddenly they're <laughs> on the hook for something they never did. So I'm I'm very concerned about that. I was I'm going to say why because I, I've never broken into a car. I live in the South Beach neighborhood. And when I went out to check on my car, because I'm a victim of a lot of crimes and I'm checking on my car and putting my hand in to check to see if it's okay. I look up and this guy is filming me.
0: Wow. Checking
2: on my own car. Wow. I don't know if that went on citizen. I don't know if that went on next door, but that's what's frightening. If you, the civilian side of crime watch is notorious, particularly in this city, as we're seeing some validation of things being broken. Where we need to be on our guard, and what's
1: yeah. One there's... other
2: question I'm going to say: You remember law enforcement assistant diversion program? Whatever happened to that? Do you remember LEAD?
0: Got it. Oh yes, we got I the, do. we okay. got the two. Let
1: questions. me let me do the first.
0: Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. So and singing afterwards. So. <laughs>
1: Social media, and I believe apps like Nextdoor are a form of social media, have obviously become an issue, right? And um, they create a platform that some people think they're using responsibly, but that often are abused um, in in some ways that are uh, troubling. And so right now, I don't know how we curb that. What I don't believe we should have are police who use Nextdoor as sort of a clue or a tip Going out and then making an arrest or or charging somebody with a crime. I don't know how we we sort of have a consequence for those who you know are damaging people's reputations by putting them on there um, when they haven't done anything. And so that's something I think you know we're going to have to evaluate as a society: is when does it become something that's defamation? When does it become rise to a level um, of irresponsibility that?
0: You know about that? That was uh, Supervisor yeah. Walton's thing.
1: Yeah, um, and, and certainly Walton. that has to do with reporting crime to the police, right? Uh, that actually didn't happen. Um, next door, you know, things like that. Again, if it's some, if it's somebody posting somebody who they have no reason to believe actually committed a crime, then there should be a consequence for that. But we as a society have to decide what that is.
0: Um, and then there was the lead diversion program. Is that correct?
1: Lee, yeah. Law enforcement it,
0: assisted diversion. And Forgive we're, me.
1: yes, we're actually talking with the police department about how we can perhaps restore that. I think it lost funding, was why it ended, um, and where we can get that funding back. But my understanding is that there's simply the funding ran out and that's why it stopped, but that people actually thought it
0: was something beneficial. Okay, are y'all with me for five more minutes? Can we get five more minutes? I want like I want active, yes. It's not too hot in here, it's right? Not, it is not <laughs> burning man with a swamp <laughs> right. cooler not working, for instance. Like, Am
1: I in Mississippi?
0: You're in Mississippi? you're at Manny's. Right. <laughs> During a heat wave. Right. Okay. I ran out of money in the middle of construction it's, and I could the, not spend the, the extra hundred thousand dollars to upgrade the AC to a bigger the sushi restaurant. We'll start a GoFundMe. Don't worry. love that. Love that. <laughs> I'm going to ask one or two more of these questions and then I'm going to okay. let you go and let you all go into your evening. Um, who sets? What sets you apart from your opponents in the November election for the DA? Let's get juicy.
1: Okay. That's why are you? Question. Why you? Well, first and foremost, I'm the only one who's ever done this work and has uh, a true knowledge of, of what doing this work looks like. Um, neither of them have ever set foot in a DA's office uh, ever. And... Like I said, um, I don't view this as political. Um, I view this as work that is uh, critical to society, right? We We have a human right to feel safe. And we have rights as victims that if somebody does something to us, that there is an advocate in the system who will actually be a voice for us. And I've seen what that looks like with somebody who I didn't feel took particular role seriously. I think other things were taken seriously, but not that particular side of it, which is a critical part of the DA's office. Um, And I think we have someone who perhaps feels entitled, based on a family name and perhaps legacy, to um, have an office in San Francisco, Um, and this person has pursued many. uh, But... (laughs) but never actually done the work to earn getting these offices that they pursue. The second person, hold on, the second person- I I can't leave that one out. I don't want
0: to be against you in court, I'll just say that. (laughs) Uh,
1: The second person I think wants to politicize this race, Um, has expressed uh, that the DA's office should be defunded. And I think when you talk to a rape victim, uh, who's life will never be the same because of what happened and who just wants to know that their rapist won't rape another person. When you literally have a mother crumble in your arms who just had to bury their child and wants justice, this is not political work. This is not about polarizing people. This is not about anything other than us having an obligation to serve this city and to serve people who can't be a voice for themselves in the system and so to have somebody say defund that office but now you want to be the head of the office is a bit of a problem
0: all right one more (laughs) question here and then i'm gonna ask you your final question yeah if you would like you can that was beautiful we got I'm not going to read the whole question, but this question is about transparency, mm-hmm. you know, that you've said that you are going to be fully transparent. You've yeah. said on this stage that you're not going to make this political. Yeah. But you fired a bunch of people for what mm-hmm. seemed like political reasons. And the first story out the gate is about this payment that, you know, it has has everyone concerned about your ability to be in, not. Excuse me. Has some people or stories about ethics yeah. and corruption and money. So this question is really about how can people trust you to really be fully transparent and and operate this office with ethics and and kind of turn the temperature down and just do the work?
1: Yeah, because I have not done anything
0: um,
1: to lose that trust in my view. Um, I understand, like I said, how people would have liked to know the information about what I was doing on the side. I had a family to provide for, I saw it as completely irrelevant to what I was doing to speak out about the recall. Um, What I feel like transparency looks like in the DA's office is being willing to say what the way that I'm going to do the work or have the office do the work, be very open about what the policy changes will be. But also we are working very hard to increase the transparency of the way these cases are resolved. A lot of the debate during the recall was that there the only data available that was being made available by the DA's office was charging data, right? Okay, the case comes in as X, it's charged as Y, that's the end of the story. We all know better, right? It's not just how you charge a case, it's what you resolve the case for. Uh, If it comes in as a felony and you give it away for a dismissal or for a low level misdemeanor, Was that appropriate? Is that something that's a pattern or is that because that person actually deserved the misdemeanor? Um, And so trying to make sure that we are making the data about the way that we resolve cases available to the public. And so that is a discussion that's going on right now to make sure that we are getting the data in a a manner that we can make it transparent. Um, One thing that I will say is, like I said, I'm not new to this work. I've been doing it For the last eight years, Um, and I think that my track record as an assistant DA um, demonstrates what kind of actual DA I will be. And I think uh, when people examine that, when they talk to people who know the way that I've done it, uh, they will understand that every step of the way I've tried to do it fairly. And I'll give everybody an example. a couple of them. I had um, a woman whose son I prosecuted uh, for a robbery in court during, it was actually my first plea ever to a state prison sentence, which when that's for me, that caused me a lot of anxiety. It was a young guy, 21, second violent robbery. And I said, I don't want to give him a second strike. That's he's too young. He's too young, but you're going to have to go sit for a little bit to get this non-strike. His mother was crying right, distraught in the courtroom, not understanding what was going on, the public defender at the time, who maybe understandably had become tired of this mother and sort of her um, being emotional, did, wasn't explaining to her why we were doing what we were doing for that deal. Um, I ended up going over actually and consoling her and explaining to her why this was the right outcome for her son. She brought her son back to me when he was released. And she actually kept in contact with me after that for many other of her children that ended up in the system. But um, she came back to me when her son was released with him. And he stood in front of me and said, I came here today to thank you, to thank you for how you consoled my mom. When that happened, Um, you were there for her when nobody else was. That's the way that I've tried to do this work. Since I've become DA, I've had a father approach me And say, I don't know if you remember me, but you prosecuted my son years ago. I said, what's your last name? When he said it, I knew exactly who his son was. And he said, I don't know if you remember, but one day outside of the courtroom, I asked if I could talk to you and you stood there and you listened to me about what I thought was going on with my son and what I wanted you to hear. And you ended up being very fair to my son. He said, I want to thank you. That's the type of DA that I have been, assistant DA that I've been, and that's what I want for my assistant DAs. Be somebody that even the defendants and their families can look to to say, you've been fair. That doesn't mean undeserved leniency. What it means is accountability that is proportional to the crime that was committed, and that's what I pledge, is that we will be an office that is proportional and that is fair and that is equitable and that we will be transparent as much as we can about what those outcomes look like so that everybody else can be the judge of whether or not we're doing this correctly.
0: The new district attorney of San Francisco, Brooke Jenkins. Allow me me the opportunity to tell you about two upcoming events that I think might be of interest. I didn't even believe this event was happening. I was on my way out of Burning Man, in, in the exodus, dusty as fuck. And I got a call from Congresswoman Barbara Lee's office about the ambassador to the United Nations coming on Thursday and whether or not who's going to get the parking spot. So the ambassador to the United Nations, this U.S. ambassador to the U.N., um, Ambassador Greenfield, a black woman, is going to be in conversation with Congresswoman Barbara Lee on this stage about climate change and the environment and America's responsibility in the world. An amazing conversation that's gonna happen at four, it's free. You need to register. We have multiple sweeps happening with people from all levels of government to make sure the space is safe, but come to that. Uh, We have, it's gonna get sold out soon. So, well, not sold out, but it's gonna, we're gonna limit it soon. The next is next Wednesday, and there, oh, I hope not. That's, we reserve that for you. And then on Wednesday, the Wednesday, the president of the United States, Joe Biden is not going to be here. But his sister, Valerie Owens Biden, is going to be here. She just wrote a book about growing up with the president and running some of his early races. And you know what? I'll just be honest with all of you. I understand that our president isn't the most, you know, electrifying person, right? Maybe you aren't that interested in every little thing about him. But we're going to give you an opportunity to actually meet someone who grew up with him and learn about who he is as a as, as a person, as a man, as a child um, here in San Francisco. So if you go to one event about Joe Biden, come to this event, this book talk with his sister, uh, to hear about what it was like growing up with the president and what, he, what kind of man he was and what kind of man he is. Uh, the last thing I'll say is... Um, There are a lot of people who don't want us to do what we're doing in here. You met some of them tonight on your way in. You heard them on your way in, uh, uh, sitting down. There's plenty of people who are like, we don't like what we're about. But I know that all of you, after sitting here tonight and you heard the kind of conversation that we had, you realize that places like this are really important. I didn't give her an opportunity to just tell her, uh, uh, you know, say your talking points. I asked you some real questions. I gave you the opportunity to speak your piece. You are a public official. You're trying to do work in this city. We need many spaces like this. Spaces like this don't pay for themselves. One of the main ways that we are funded is through our individual sponsors program. This space is funded by people, by individuals who pay $36 or more a month to keep us open in the face of great adversity. So if you're not already a sponsor, and I see a lot of people in this room who are, and thank you, please become a Manny's sponsor. You can cancel anytime. It's a monthly thing. Precious over here, our director of programming, also runs the sponsors program. It's how we're able to do this work in a really tough economy and with a lot of opposition in some ways. So thank you. Thank you, Susan, one of our sponsors. Please become a sponsor. You also get a link in your email, um, but come and speak to Precious and I. And I just want to take a second and, and thank both Precious and Angelina for holding down the fort this summer and giving me... Brain rest. And so I just want to publicly in this crowd say thank you so much to my incredible, small but mighty staff for doing such hard work and allowing us to keep the flame burning while I was away. So thanks to the two of you. Are you going to give us an exit strategy? Fabulous. Angelina, will tell you how and when to exit and have a good rest.